Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I'm Augie Carton. Hello, Augie Hi, Justin. Justin, I'm the Brian fact Cash. that hey, Cass Diddy, uh, the fact that you two are talking must mean Hall is somewhere in transit and didn't make it for our randomly selected Sunday start time. But he may jump in, thieves. Don't fear. Um, which is funny because I wonder. So, I guess at this point we'll introduce Andrew. Andrew Thomas is our accomplice du jour, and he is a gin maker. That is correct. Yes, happy to be here. Nice to see you, man. How you doing? Good, man. It's been a minute since I saw you. Everything's good. I know. It's been last time I think I saw you. We were definitely weren't around here, and we were definitely overserved. So that's all I remember. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. We we had a night or two out in uh, Denver, I do believe. Denver, Once there we, you go. Fucking yeah. fucking Denver. <laughs> um, yeah, awesome. So let's see. There's so many things I want to talk to you about because this is exciting as hell and. There's a million ways to frame what you're doing per beer, but first and foremost, I want to somehow make a dry gin uary suffix joke, but I can't think it out. So, so yeah, all, out. if you think of one, they've, they've been played out on social media. You go to like the UK and you see like all their gin puns, and it's 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 <laughs> overkill. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, it's it's like 1980s beer. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I was I was thinking one of the one of the big mistakes I believe cocktail culture made was when they let everybody start putting eni on the end of drinks. Like instead of <laughs> instead of people inventing drinks and being responsible for naming them, they just called it a blah 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 eni. So I, I was I was forming all these great suffix on gin drinks jokes, but I just gave up on it. Um. So here's what I do want to ask you about because there, there's from a business perspective, you know you know my former brew partner jesse better than most and you know he's also in the spirits game in brooklyn alongside you so right. i have i have just enough information to kill me in these discussions you know what i mean because <laughs> every time i get together i'm like teach me more and while we're doing it we're drinking and i'm quickly erasing all the things he's teaching me right and that's just how life goes but there's a interesting wrinkle to the business of spirits making in choosing gin. So let me just start with what I think I know. And then I want you to flesh out how you went your way, but yeah. like in the world of spirits, like gin is the, the probably the most grown up of the spirits, right? It's the driest. It's the most nuanced. It's the one that comes way after your sweet vanilla whiskeys and then your clean vodkas and all that. And you get there. And it's like in the craft world, trying to be 
Bierstadt, like trying to make the perfect Pilsner in a world of coconut, lactose, fruity pebble stouts. <laughs> yeah. Um, however, you can make them relatively quickly, right? So, so when you decide sure. to be, I'm going to specialize in gin. How many of those factors were in your head? How'd this go? And you know, talk us through being specifically gin focused rather than all the spirits, whatever the kids are buying. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can go off. I mean, how far back do you want me to go? I mean, when I first started distilling, um, I was a home brewer at a ton of leftover beer kind of sitting around my house, you know, 30, 40 gallons knew I wasn't going to drink it all knew that it was probably going to spoil before I even got to it. Despite having a kegerator and as many 4th of July parties as I can imagine, you're just not going to go through that much beer. Um, so I was like, well, why don't I, yeah, right. We still have private residence, you know, yep. a barrel of gin at your house or a barrel of, um, uh, beer at your house. Anyways. Uh, so I started distilling it out and, you know, I bought this cheap $125 little, uh, still kettle from Amazon. Um, I'm actually surprised they even sell them because they just seem dangerous. Uh, and they're also, you know, semi-illegal, but whatever. Yep. We can get into that if you want to. Um, well, they they, and, they are next to meth lab, the most likely thing to explode in a house, right? Yeah, I mean, because obviously you're well, yeah, you're you're working with vaporized alcohol, which is you know, in the purest form, ninety five percent. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people are using like stovetop cookers for it, or like a Bunsen burner in their or, or whatever in their backyard, um, a butane burner rather. And it's just like, what are you? It's just it's very dangerous. Um, yeah, you can do it very safely, but you can also be an idiot with with all things, I guess. Um, but anyway, so I started distilling it out and, you know, I distilled out some wine. So I kind of had like some eau de vie or, or, you know, an early stage brandy. I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. And, um, you know, coming from the homebrew world and I think, you know, the way craft beer is or was at that time, certainly was, you know, you're creating something new every week. One week we'd create a stout at home. Next week we'd say, create a Pilsner. And, um, you know, the week after that you do an Imperial stout and then you do an IPA and yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, why is every distillery creating the same core lineup of, of things, right? They have their beer or they have their whiskey, they have their, uh, you know, maybe they have a bourbon and a rye, a vodka and a gin. It's the, it's the same four or five products. And then maybe like some super sweet liqueur that's flavored with some God awful extract, you know, be it a peanut butter, you know, jam, <laughs> whiskey, whatever. Um, at this point, I want to remind you, you are loosely associated with Fimbac. So I know. Let's, listen, yeah, let's not make fun of throwing shit into shit. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It's just not, you know, not, not the way I was going to approach this, right? Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so then I started looking at like gin just being an interesting category because one, yeah, as you kind of mentioned earlier, it's like you can turn it around in a couple of weeks. You don't have to age it in a barrel for, you know, sometimes minimum two or three years, kind of depending on the federal guidelines, if you want to have an age spirit. Um, so there is like the quick turnaround aspect of it, but really what was far more interesting to me was using, um, botanicals in gin to create, you know, a painting, uh, you know, you're, you're layering in different flavors and colors into like a composite image. And kind of, that's where the half tone name comes from. Cause this idea that we're, you know, using these different little elements to build up something that's much greater. Um, you know, I strive to complete a um a balanced gin where yeah you can probably pull out some juniper and yeah you can probably pull, pull out some floral notes and some lemongrass or some pepper notes wherever it may be but i don't want you to sit down and be like oh that's obviously just a you know uh uh orange gin that's like, like super orangey and a little bit something else in the background um so let me let me let me jump into my fascination with this here um because 
I don't know, to try to facilitate the conversation on a beer show. It's gin is kind of like your classic IPAs, right? Like not the current hazy ones where everything is trying to go for a variation of tropical, but you're going for a variation of aromas and you can kind of, you know, you can do Simcoe, Chinook, Sabro, or you can do Citra, Cascade, whatever. So gin is kind of that, right? Like you can pick your 10 or 12 botanicals, mix them as you see fit and get where you're going. But there's also the fun of being an IPA guy who loves Citra, you know what I mean? So it's Citra yeah. plus, so it's variations on that. So talk mm-hmm. about like, is there one thing that always has to be there and is it juniper? And, yeah. or are there five things that always have to be there? And how far do you push out past that when you're varying aromatics? And have you ever made like a no juniper gin? Is there such a thing? You know what I mean? Talk us right. through that in terms of like cascade IPAs from 19... 19- 85 you know what i mean like is it (laughs) always cascade plus or is it whatever the fuck you feel like this time so i mean it's it's, yeah it's hard to make it a completely one-to-one uh analogy to to beer but in certain ways yeah you can look at gin as being ipa because juniper has to be involved the word uh gin is derived from the dutch word of jennifer which is the juniper Mm -hmm. berry uh then it moved over to england uh and jennifer became gen g-e-n and then you know, through just corruption of the language became gin, G-I-N, as we know it. Um, the original Jennifer was made with a mix of malted br- uh, brandy, you know, mold, uh, uh, cooked wine, essentially what they called it, burnt wine, uh, mm-hmm. and basically a uh, vodka that's infused with juniper. So it's like a blend of those two. So it's a little maltier, a little more harsh, and, and certainly in my mind, not as complex botanically as gins would come to be. Anyways, that's so... Cool. Uh, so yeah, so obviously juniper has to be involved there uh, by United, United States law, like by, you know, it describes gin, uh, gin as basically like, a, you know, anything that resembles the smell and taste of juniper. It's really like lax, but it has to be a dominant note. Now, how okay. I interpret that is um, I have juniper is the, is the greatest weight in my botanical bill, um, but definitely not the most predominant uh, notes in all my gins. Um, yeah. Now to the point of, of, Looking at it from kind of a hop standpoint, uh, juniper berries do have terroir, um, much like grapes would have, and much like oh, fun. Uh, yeah. So, and obviously, like you know, different. Uh, you know, if you grew Cascade in you know uh, the Willamette Valley versus New Zealand, I'm sure they'll probably taste very different. I don't know. You could probably speak to that um, for sure. Yeah. So you look at that, and so you have we get most of our juniper from Central Europe. Um, they have a very, very kind of soft and kind of fruitier uh, juniper berry. Uh, if you go just nearby, if you go to Italy, um, their juniper is far more pepperier, far more peppery. Hmm. Uh, and if you have domestic U.S. grown uh, juniper, it's, it's much more woody uh, and a little bit harsh. It doesn't have kind of like those kind of sweet floral notes kind of um, that I look for from kind of that Central Europe. Uh, so it's a, it's essentially mimics barrel staves, French sure. oak versus American yeah. oak versus Slovenian oak. Interesting. I love yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, so juniper has to be kind of the predominant note, and then kind of traditionally, but not necessarily true with every gin, uh, coriander is, is pretty much the secondary um, botanical that's used in any gin, and then you get into some roots, like some orris root, orris root's really important, uh, because it acts as um, uh, a balancer, basically, it, it uh, takes all those different oils that are, you know, suspended in the alcohol, uh, and uh, makes them even throughout the spirit, so you don't get, like, separation between 
you know, the different densities and layers of, of, of oil within the spirit itself. Does it, um, does it carry, does it have a flavor tone? Like when I'm sipping old Raj, what would I look for? That would certainly does. Yeah. So orchard be that part of that. Yeah. It's, um, Orchard's fascinating. I love Orchard because it's um, it's one of the most expensive botanicals in the world because it's also used in, in perfume. Uh, okay. It's a, it's a very, very floral um, root. Uh, Orchard because it comes from the iris plant. Oris, O-R-I-S, comes Got from it. the iris plant. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an incredibly complex, um, very nuanced, but pretty standard botanical that you kind of have to use in gin. Neat. People don't do it, right, but so I recommend it. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, so now we got our foundations. When we come back from glass one, let's talk about building them, uh, yeah. building on them. But uh, so what brings us together on Steel the Spear is a candid conversation of beer. What it is, not what we thought it would be. What it's doing, not what we were told it would do. And how it tastes, not how we got it. Uh, facilitate that. We drink blind. I am blind. Um, I believe you have this beer, Andrew, I hope. I do. Yes. Yep. Okay. And is it a ridiculously tall can? Yeah, it frightens me because it's you know one of those nineteen point two ounce cans or whatever, and it well, also has here, the gold. It also has the gold cap, which I'm always yeah. like, that just that's a red flag. It says flag right big there. beer, right? It says yeah, big yeah. beer. The gold yeah. cap always means big beer, exactly. And two, and I'm happy with it. Are you drinking yet? Start drinking it if you're not. All right, sorry, I'm, but, I'm um, not cracked yet. Here we go. Yeah, get involved. But um, but I've been saying the last couple times Kennedy sent us this size can, they were things like Dogfish ninety and Delirium Tremens. So I now yeah. have a real fear when I open the box and see one of these cans in its <laughs> in its aluminum foil tube. But this beer, I, I don't want to be mean to this beer, but this beer, if I had to describe this beer in a single word, it would be inconsequential. <laughs> um, yeah. It I can't figure out. So it's the weirdest sensation. Start drinking, Andrew, because I want you to catch up. And it's maybe because of the conversation you were you know, your part of the conversation when I started drinking it, but we were talking about home brewing, we were talking about Denver and we were talking about, you know, you and me out there for a CBC fucking a decade ago. Yep. And I don't know what it is about this beer, but I feel like I'm in one of those flaws in beer panels. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like somebody's giving me, and like, this is the beer we're going to add shit to, to learn what yeah. diacetyl is what you know all those off defects are what you know what's the green apple one and the paper one you know what i mean yeah. and i feel like somebody's about to start spiking this <laughs> kind of straightforward homebrew with defects so you and i can learn what to look for when we're homebrewing but unfortunately we're stuck <laughs> with not even the defects because it's like right, right, it's right like now, a bland but... malt liquor there's nothing it's so bad <laughs> That it's 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 exactly it's it feels to me like it's a base for experimentation. Yeah. Um, and what's funny would you, is, as, would you beer? Would you brew a beer this bland just for that for like to mess around with like you know post fermentation? So right now, I think I would, but because I've just come back from a cycling trip in France, where everywhere I landed, they had a good clean ferment, white, golden, and amber. Okay. You know what I mean? And this yep. one tastes kind of like the ambers. And if you've been in the, you know, if you've ridden your bike for six hours in the hillside of France and you go to the local pizza place and you're like, just give me a margarita pizza and an amber ale. If they drop this, I feel like it's spot on perfect. But again, it's in that context of 
while I was trying to taste it, I feel like it's, I, I really feel like it's somebody's, like somebody thinks they're going to win an award for this homebrew because it's flawless. But yeah. as a result, I think at this point it ends up being basic as fuck. <laughs> um, I think you, I think you used the word inconsequential, which I think is yeah. pretty great. You know, the, what, you know what, what I mean? Like, is this going to move? None. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. It's a lovely beer, and I don't know. We're talking on a Sunday right before playoff football starts, and I guess. I wouldn't mind if this was my football beer for the day, but you know, I'm going to drink boat because I need, I need <laughs> more, you know, I need a little more joie de vivre. Um, yeah, yeah. If this is like beer number three for me on the day. Like, yeah, it's fine. I would be paying. Yeah. Attention. You could land this here. Exactly. First beer of the day, and I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, I mean, it's only totally up from here. I hope. So last night I was doing, do you know the New Jersey tradition of liquor store bars? Do not. So there's a there's a bunch of liquor store bars in New Jersey where you're sitting at a bar in the middle of a liquor store. And I love this idea already. So the the one closest to me is called Gateway. It's one of my favorite bars. Last night, so I was in the tasting room. Tasting room was a bit crowded. I didn't want to be wasting a table for me and my friends. So we got out of there and we went straight to Gateway, which is a local bar. And just sat down at one of the 20 stools and started drinking for about five hours and watched all of the neighborhood pick up oh. their beers for Saturday night. Sure. Which I saw one of my old favorite traditions, which was the guys grabbing a four pack of something expensive and a suitcase of natural light <laughs> or a suitcase. You know, so I literally watched right. the guy grab a four pack of Lawson's and a 12 pack of Miller Light. And is I the idea like, to transition from the Lawson's like into the like, right? I or, think you or, drink... or, is it, or is it just that you like have a couple of those nice beers in your fridge so like you don't feel quite so ashamed about like just mowing through 12 cans? Interesting. I think what's going on there is when you're doing your best tasting, you drink your two or three Lawson's, and then once you've killed your palate, you save money. Yeah. And that that says to me, I'm getting wasted tonight, right? Like that doesn't <laughs> say to me, I'm drinking beer tonight. <laughs> yeah. That says I want you know, 4.2 alcohol by volume, 12 ounces at a time, times 17, the first three matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, the guy's got a plan. You know, I can't, I can't yeah. knock a good plan. So that's... Exactly. And I, I watched somebody walk out last night with a smaller size bottle of Christian Brothers brandy, which <laughs> I've only ever seen cooking. And yeah. I was like, they, they must be making some, some amazing flambe tonight. But anyway... The reason I say that is I feel like if I was walking out of a store with a four pack of Lawson's and a 12 pack of this, I would like it better than the Miller Lite, but not a whole lot better. You know what I mean? Like, you know what it could be? Could this be Yingling? Hmm. I don't know. Is it? What if this is Yingling? Oh my God. That makes, that could be it, right? It tastes like a kind of brownish. Plainish beer. I don't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like it's malt enough to be Yingling, but I haven't had Yingling in a while because yeah, didn't he, isn't he like a Trump guy? Yingling guy? Mm. I don't know. I'd like to bring up yeah, all he, things, sorry. he definitely yeah. he definitely he definitely blew himself up with that declaration, but it's yeah. definitely not hurting his business. They're only yeah, growing. Sure. Yeah. And and the craft community embraced him for his size. But I would I all right, so I'm gonna stop dwelling on this beer and get back to our gin conversation. But 
I, I'm, you're never supposed to guess what it is, but I think this is something like Yingling and I think it's fine for that. I think it's, I think it's, you know, 3% cooler than Modelo. How's that? When I saw the gold cap, I thought it was going to be Modelo. So I'm uh-huh. going to edit it because I hate Modelo, <laughs> um, but I thought Kennedy was fucking with me. But anyway, all right. So where are you <laughs> drinking this? The last part of this game is where are you drinking this beer? Oh, uh, I'm actually in my the basement of my house here. No, no, no. Write a sentence where you would drink it if you owned it. If this was in your fridge, where would you, where would you bring it? Where would you drink it? Oh my god! If this is in my fridge, I feel like this would be something. This would be like can number two if I'd like a long ride on the Metro North. You know, it's like I drink something as you kind of said before. You know, mm-hmm. decent. Maybe I'd sneak on like a little cocktail or like a canned cocktail, and it's like okay, I still have two hours left in my ride. I can just kind of mull this over while I read a book or read a magazine or something. So I don't get too wasted that I can't focus, but just like enough to have something other than, you know, a LaCroix. Perfect. All right, Kennedy. You guys are drinking the brand new fat tire. (laughs) No shit. What? Yeah. Wait, is this hazy? No, it's not hazy. No. It's like a, it's like a, like a, like a, Pale ale kind of rendition. Is that what they said they're calling it. What is the brand new? Hold on, I'm pulling it over. I'm opening it up. Yeah, this came out a couple what? weeks ago. This is. I, I've heard all talk about the fact that there's a new fat tire. Don Tess has gone insane with the fact that there's a new fat tire. Yeah, but I don't know anything about it. I thought I they think, were rebranding really it as easy. I think it's just a golden ale. Is yeah. is the new formula? So uh... so it says high quality, low impact. What does that mean? I'm not, well, maybe because they're like carbon neutral. I'm guessing that's what that Carbon means. neutral ale. Yeah. Oh, so that's not an ABV claim? That's a... No, not an ABV claim, no. Oh, I would have assumed. What does it say since 1981? What does it say? Was it 5.2%? Okay. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I get the business idea, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for the classic fat tire. Yeah. And you know what's funny is it doesn't taste anything like fat tire. No, it doesn't. But like, you why would in Denver? And, well, I guess that's a different context, but uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a totally different beer. It's not an amber ale anymore. I think it's they consider it a golden ale now. But so why hold on to that fat tire brand? I mean, what's funny is they made it taste more nineteen eighty one. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, think about the notes we gave. It's <laughs> yeah. it's they've taken. I mean, yeah. They've taken one of my favorite beers of the world and made me declare it inconsequential. I don't think that's what they wanted to do. <laughs> I, you know, it tastes like um, uh, rock bottom breweries like Blondale from yeah. Yeah, circa 2000. Right. Although I will strongly suggest to anybody running beer flaw classes, this is definitely <laughs> your, 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 you could swap out the Budweiser for this going forward. Um, so yeah, golden ale. I was one to the right. I said amber, but yeah, you know what I mean? Like that's what it's for. It's and you know it's funny. I did say cycling. It is fat tire, right? So there you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I guess if I am gonna make an after bike biking golden beer, I'll make a copy of the new fat tire. Anyway, that's funny. All right, so let's get back to gin. So when last when last we when we got distracted by the new fat tire, <laughs> we were talking about, you know, the base for this thing. Now, now let me ask you a couple questions here. When you're because there's, I, I assume there's a million ways to do this, especially in the age of vacuum distilling progressing. But when you're making your, 
when you're adding these herbs to gins, are you making a tincture and adding it to a clear spirit or are you putting it all in the clear spirit vat? Like we would dry hop, Mm -hmm. like, like how do you, how do you ratio it out? How do you get it into solution? Yeah. So if you had a tincture after a gin, what you made is called a compound gin. Um, Probably most famous of that would be Hendrix, right? They use uh, rose and cucumber tinctures post-distillation to add to the gin. Um, But most gins in the world aren't made that way. Um, London Dry being part of that tradition. um, Like being part of the tincture tradition or? No, getting getting away from the tincture uh, tradition. So what what happened was uh, around the 1700s, yeah, in the 1700s, there was something like four or five stills per you know street in in London. So it was the height of the London gin craze. Everybody's making gin. They're making really terrible gin, and because it tastes so bad, they would add a bunch of stuff afterwards. They would add uh, turpentine. They would add fruits. They would add anything to kind of mask the really like heinous um, uh, high alcohols that were like remaining within the spirit that was making people literally go crazy and blind and stuff like that. Um, yep. It wasn't the gin itself that was making them blind. It was the impurities that they failed to cut out. And then they'd mask it with all this, you know, with all these different things. And so the London dry style came up being saying that essentially you are, what's coming off the still is going into the bottle. The only thing that's going to um, affect that is, you know, water dilution to get to bottle, to bottle strength. So okay. essentially that's what we do. Um, there are two different methods. There's a maceration method where you can throw all the botanicals in high proof spirit for a day or two or however long. And then, you know, fire up your kettle and then collect the alcoholic vapors on the other side. Okay. The other way to do it is through, um, uh, 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 through steam. So essentially we have a gin basket and we take, you know, our botanicals, we stuff them inside this basket. The alcoholic vapors pass through those botanicals. The heat and the alcohol releases the essential oils uh, in the botanicals. Those oils cling to the alcohol and they come out the other side. Uh, cool. There are varying. There's varying arguments. So, both. hold on. Like let prefer, me ask you a question. Yeah. For that second thing, are you basically yeah. just in the cone before the coil? I'm, you know, I'm picturing like the most classic basic yeah. distiller. But are you just are you just going above the liquid and before the condenser and just exactly letting right. it yes. happen that way? That's yeah, cool. uh, it, it, it's that, most, that's it's, cool as fuck. Yeah, and it's most basic. That's the that's the idea, right? So, so let uh, me ask you, let me ask you a cooking question here sure. because yep. So. I imagine when we're talking botanicals, especially, you know, you know me and how I would do this. It would always be, let's add a 65th. Some of them are going <laughs> to be like seeds and powders, and some of them are going to be like leaves and roots and stalks. Yep. Is there a basic rule for ratioing? Let's just keep it in terms of coriander because he said that's basic. If you were using coriander seeds as opposed to cilantro leaves, Mm-hmm. or stalks or whatever is there a basic guideline for you of you know like when you're when you're cooking like dry herbs versus fresh herbs you want right. like a third of the concentration Do, are there guidelines like that or do you just learn it fucking around um no i mean like basically everything i use is dried right um, okay the idea there being that you know you're weighing these things to be a pretty precise amount and for some of these like you know for if you're making 120 bottles you're using you know 30 grams of something like you know gentian root, so it's not like you're using a ton, and so okay. you really need to weigh it out. You need to be pretty pre- like uh, precise and specific on it. Um, and so using dried herbs just allows you to like remove the water and the moisture content, and you have a much more um, consistent uh, right. botanical to work with. And let's talk about 
like how often are you going over to 23rd and Madison and just herb shopping these days? Like, are you, is, is that just the dream come true for you these days? Are you like me <laughs> before I cook? It's usually, I don't actually go over there too often. Um, I, part of the problem is I find their herbs, most herbs in that area, you know, they've been packaged and sitting on a shelf for, for months and months and months at a time. And so a lot of those like, you know, uh, volatile compounds have already kind of blown off. And so you kind of, you lose some of it. Obviously when you're adding heat, you're still extracting some things, but you know, I want to try and find the most aromatic and freshly dried um, botanicals I can get. Um, so yeah, I don't peruse the, the, the spice aisles too often, but I do hunt down a lot of spices online that like, if I've never heard of it, this new thing called Shinsandra berry. I'm not sure if you've heard of those. Nope, um, nope. You can't Tell use them in, in, in gin, but like, I was like, I had to order them just to find out what they were. Right. Why can't you use them in gin? Uh, so there's a thing called grass, which is generally generally recommended as safe. Uh, oh, yeah, a, I know grass. grass. Yeah, you know grass. Yeah, yeah. Grass, is, grass is how the vitamin world poisons us. Anyway, go sure. on. Yeah, yeah, generally <laughs> recognized as safe. Um, so yeah, essentially you have to like look that up, you know, look up the, um, any botanical you want to use, make sure it has clearance. And if it's cleared, um, you know, you can, you know, submit your recipe to the TTB. Um, Got you. But uh, it's, it's really cool because like actually like the, like the FDA who does grass is like, they have been fantastic. I've had to reach out to them a few times and like, I was like, okay, here we go. Bureaucratic BS, you know, hopefully I can hear back from these people by the end of the year, you know, so I can use this one botanical in a spirit. Um, and they've actually been like really, really um, uh, communicative, which is awesome. So I use this thing called Mbukalaba root, which what? is, a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's a click sound in there. It's a South African oh, uh, root. Um, but it comes from geranium, right? And so when I first submitted okay. the idea to the FDA, they're like, no, absolutely not. You can't use this. And then, you know, then I resubmitted like the scientific name. And because uh, geranium root in the US has been recognized as safe, they deemed that safe as well. So um, understood. Interesting. Yeah. So it's nothing like the TTB. Um, who yeah, is, no, the TTB, if there's, I mean, at least on the distilling side, if, if they see something wrong, they'll just send it back with kind of no yeah. notes, you know? Yeah. Well, the TTB is clearly two-faced from the Batman comics and anything you put in, they're just flipping a coin and sending it back one way or the other. And they're not putting any thought into it. Um, anyway, we got to talk about glass too. Uh, so we were talking at the beginning of the show about, you know, making the, the less obviously pleasing flavors of gin versus the, super easy to love vanilla cake flavors of bourbon mm -hmm. and then kennedy gave us a vanilla cake beer um <laughs> are you drinking beer too yet yeah it's um yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it tastes like copper pennies off the top you know love that oh nice, i didn't uh, get that interesting oh, really? i didn't get that oh, no all it, i got was was you know like it tastes like um you know that uh, what's it called coffee cake you know the crumble shit on top of a coffee cake from like drake's uh-huh this whole beer tastes like that to me this tastes like a really terrible baltic porter to me like it's like nine wow. percent the body's kind of thin like just the, the body's the... very thin but there's tons yeah. of sugar trying to hide that yeah that's why i feel like it's like a you know baltic porter that was just like you know poorly you know fermented so you're using that cold lager strain it's just like in this i don't know yeah. I like I like I like where your head's at. I just I'm just getting tons and tons and tons of uh coffee cake flavored cremora kind of shit. Um hmm. sweet. It's just a sweet beer. And you're right, the, the thinness of it is concerning because 
there's so much sugar richness that yeah. no no malt body to back that up is making it confusing. But that's why I think like my head hasn't gone to my favorite coffee cake. It's gone to the cheapest, you know, at the counter of a bodega 65 cent coffee cake. Um, speaking of which, one of the things I definitely don't want to miss asking you, this isn't me diverting us from beer too, but one of the questions I want to come back to is when you're cutting strengths and final strengths, because mm -hmm. I definitely find particularly in gins and not in all spirits, but in gins, I tend to prefer them in that hundred, 110 level. Whereas I tend to like most of my rums down around 70 mm -hmm. and most of my whiskeys in that either 80 or 130 end. So I want to talk about, you know, body presentation mouthfeel of spirit yeah. level when we come back but let's finish this thing and move on so so i don't i don't know where i'm drinking this i feel like i feel like i feel like no matter i don't know why you would buy whatever this is but i feel like you're gonna want it to be like both of these beers are kind of should have been more beers Right, fat tire should have been more amber, more fat tire, and whatever this is, I feel like it needs. Yeah, like you said, like Baltic Porter works for me for what's wrong with it, right? It wants mm -hmm. to be a stout, and it's being a not a stout, right? Yeah, I feel like it wants to be thicker. I mean, like, like the if the body were thicker, the sweetness would make more sense in my head. Yeah, I think that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, there's yeah. nothing for that that sugar to sit on, mm -hmm. right? Just, right, just so, sits right, just sits on your palate. Just weighs yeah. heavy on your palate. Afterwards. Although I think if yeah. I was my if I was my 16 year old son going to a high school party, I could be the fancy guy if I brought this. Sure, because it's like eight percent, so it's like you're getting yeah. the booze and all. You think it's you know? eight? I think it might even be lower, but yeah, it's not. All right, so whatever. It's it's a it's a too sweet, too thin porter uh kennedy my man man i really send you guys two duds this <laughs> this week not too duds well, just... you're not getting the full effect of this beer because why not i mean it, the can says that it's a nitro stout and now you oh. know it's better than anybody else that can yeah, should be shook hard and yeah, poured no. hard so what i'd like you gentlemen to do is actually give it up like hard. whatever you have yeah pour whatever you can hard okay, that's definitely spit. a good point because i definitely poured an ounce into a tasting glass and started swirling and sniffing it so if it's so flat i've it, just it poured probably, it hard does it feel it wasn't flat out of the can mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah no. no different <laughs> uh, well, the nitro already is out of the can, so it's like, it, it, if yeah. this was a true nit nitro stout, it should have been, well, you know, you oh, can't really. It is from Firestone Walker. It is not their Mocha Dolce Nitro Stout. So sweet coffee nitro yeah, stout? it's a creamy beer made with coffee, cacao nibs, and vanilla beans. Hmm. All right, yeah, so yeah. we nailed it. <laughs> um, I had more hope for it, but yeah. But that's what I'm saying. I feel like if you bought this, you'd want to be. Although Cass you makes a good point. Trust Firestone Walker to make good beer, right? I totally trust him to make good beer. But Cass makes a good point. I definitely cracked it, poured an ounce in a wine glass, spun it, and sipped it. And that is not how you do nitro beers. Yeah, it would have had a different different effect if it was. Why didn't you speak up before I fucked it up? <laughs> well, I didn't want to give away anything. <laughs> 
<laughs> rather just talk about the travesty afterwards. So, oh, there you go. You, if you, you have, are... if you have had this can, write us letters at stealthispeerpodcast@gmail.com. Good point. Good point. All right, so let's get back to my to my alcohol level question. We've been ranting and raving yep. about gin so long, we're running out of time. But so, what about gin? Like, so all right. So when I'm making a beer, the first thing I choose when I'm talking about alcohol level is what what body it's going to offer right for my creamy coffee beers i need them to be up around 12 because i want them to be really rich and for you know boat i want it to be super crispy dry and nimble down around four when you're making your gins what pushes your decisions which ways for how much to cut it down and stuff like that yeah so when it's all clicked up the still it basically comes off and nets out at about 75% alcohol, right? And then you have to proof it down, meaning you've had water yeah. to, um, to get to bottling strength. So well, yeah, a lot of it is, is less to do with body because at this point, all of our gins kind of range between like 42 to 47% ABV. So, you know, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're a, a, a one or two uh, degrees off, you know, the, the body's not going to affect be changed that ultimately that much. Um, right. The big difference for me is, you know, alcohol carries flavor. And so uh, the more you're going to dilute it, the more you're going to dilute, you know, the, 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 the density of, of your botanical gin. And so I want a very, very botanical, botanically heavy and forward spirit. Our London Dry is, I, I think, within the realm of what people assume London Dry to be. But if you smell our London Dry next to like a beef eater, it's like, yeah, you're going to be able to pick up the notes. But, you know, ours is Americanized, right? It's the muscle car. It's got, the, it's got so much more oomph than uh, classic London dry would have. So um, it's kind of a modern take on that. So the more you water it down, the you know the less flavor you're gonna have ultimately in your glass because you're also making a mixer. So you're gonna add to something else and then that's gonna water it down further. So you know, if you're making yeah, a Negroni- I'm, I'm that guy who mostly drinks his gin on ice. So yeah, that's probably one of my many problems. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that actually leads me to my last question to tie this up is, um, you know, so I'm in a whole bunch of alcohol free, uh, I'm in a whole bunch of alcohol free Facebook groups as well, because that part of the market super to me. And once about every six months, some idiot will write into one of these chats that he's looking for an alcohol free vodka for his bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. And, and of course Fantastic. I know, I know you already know the joke, but <laughs> But that's water. <laughs> yeah. So what you're really looking for is all these things that are basically the you know, the 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 gin copies by people like Seedlip, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but so when when you're making your gins and you're picking your combination of stuff, do you make certain ones with certain end cocktails in mind like are are you like if i add so negroni and you're using a let's let's assume you're using an artichoke heavy um you know campari or something in there or it's yeah i I love i love yeah i love chino yeah so exactly so but are are you have you ever do you ever should you do you love to like be like all right i'm gonna make this one and play up that kind of you know Chinar yeah. oil flavor to make a Negroni with, you know what I mean? Is is yep. that ever in your head at the end result? Yeah, you know. So in the two and a half years we've been open, we put out you know twelve different gins and an Aquavit. So it's like you know, like a brewery. You know, you're cranking out different styles. And so every time I start you know theorizing about what next gin is going to be, 
I come at it from two ways. Um, we have our modular series, which looks at different regions of the world and the botanicals that grow there uh, and are using their cuisine. And so we've done a Japanese-inspired gin, a Spanish-inspired gin, and our most recently was a South African-inspired gin. Um, and so, yeah, so conceptually, I kind of come at, come at it from that angle. So like our Spanish gin, for example, I wanted to create a really, really savory gin. Um, I was able to get my hands on two different kinds of sea kelp or dulse, which, you know, has this nice, like really briny aroma. Um, I use uh, Spanish orange peel. And then to kind of play into uh, the cuisine, there's some rosemary and thyme and, and um, uh, uh, cardamom in, in there as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I was conceiving that gin, I was like, okay, this is gonna be an amazing gin tonic, which they, you know, which is how they make them over there. They use a huge, you know, uh, um, orange peel and they'll throw yeah. in 10 olives and all this other shit. Um, <laughs> but I also wanted to make it like, the, like the best start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best starter for like a, a dirty martini. Right. So like, I love, uh, I love a dirty, dirty martini, but like the last thing I want is some just like really shitty, well, olive juice, just like splashed into my, right. uh, into my dirty martini. So I was like, well, can I bring those savory notes into it so that you don't on the back end when you're making the cocktail, you don't have to like, you know, alter the, the spirit too much or dilute it too much or, you know, change the basic, you know, frame of it. Got it. That's cool. Now, last question. I know I said that was the last question, but in the still, and you know, one of the things I'm aware of in the kind of, you know, world of this kind of aromatics building, is vacuum distillation. Do you ever fuck with that? Is it ever any fun? Is there is there ideas there? Are you still are you trying to stay pretty traditionally fire or whatever? You know. Yeah, we're, we use a steam jacket still. Um... You know, I, I actually, I've not actually worked on, on a vacuum distillation uh, system before. Um, it's interesting to talk to some people in the industry because there are like true vacuum, you know, like lab quality vacuum distillation yeah. setups that like, you know, people envy, but are really expensive and yeah, you know, like oil. So I want, of, yeah. I've been trying yeah. to buy one for 12 years. I want a Rotovap in the brewery so fucking bad, but they are hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right. You know, and then there's like other stills that, are essentially kind of a, a mix between almost like, like a hybrid between like a traditional atmospheric still and a um, vacuum still. So they're kind of like, you're using a little more heat, a little more pressure, uh, but still kind of extracting quicker out of, out of the kettle. Um, yep. So our still is, is like a hybrid still. So we're able to make uh, high proof vodka. Uh, we have some brandy that'll come out maybe later this year, early next year. Um, gins, obviously. Um, it's not that I don't have any interest in, in doing vacuum distillation, but it is a whole nother, approach uh it's one of the like scientific method you have to figure out that i just you know i was an art student i'm a self-trained distiller uh and i'll, and I'll do what uh um i'll do what i know yep. for now yeah i feel your pain um <laughs> awesome so i'm gonna make the request i make of all my friends that distill if you get around to it please make a blackberry brandy <laughs> age it in french oak and yep. sell me the barrel uh, I I okay. really want a blackberry brandy barrel to put a stout in, and nobody puts blackberry brandy into wood. And I really yeah. want I really want a blackberry brandy barrel. <laughs> anyway, all right. So I mean, Kennedy, if you want to buy the spirit, I'll hold it for you. You know, I, I love it. I love it, <laughs> Kennedy, my man. Yep. You got a letter for us? I do. Let's all right, see. read it quick, baby. We've gone over. Gin distracts me too much, as you know. All right, it's a dry January question. Uh, snooze. Pepe Sil Sylvia. Uh, Who? Pepe Sylvia. Okay. 
he says, who invented Dry January, Hallmark or Athletic Brewing Company? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say yes. In, in, in cahoots. In cahoots. Uh, let's say they did it. I don't fucking know. I mean, this is, it all starts with fucking planking. And then all of a sudden it's no shave November. And then it's fucking dry January. And, and I just can't believe these things are so infectious. Like they're, they're so trite. They're so basic. They're so fucking boring. Like, and it's so unhealthy. Like, <laughs> in what way? well, if, if you know anything about, diet and i know america does their best to confuse diet the worst thing you can do to a human body is convince it it's going through a famine right that's that's why short-term diets always put more weight on people than they take off that's why lifestyle changes don't work like the human body evolved over its millions of years to be drought and famine resistant and Plain and simply, if you want to live a healthy life, your body adapts to its caloric inputs over time. So if you have a significant caloric input go away for 30 days, the next thing you're going to do is immediately react to its coming back in as a requirement for your body to store fat. So I'm not saying you should never quit drinking, and I'm not saying you can't modify your behavior, but anytime you do that, cleanse approach to dieting that feast and famine that these 30 days are going to cleanse my liver what you're actually doing is priming your liver to be more damaged on day 31 and it's just such the fucking common wisdom of facebook that gets this shit out there and it just has people polluting their system you'd be so much better off saying i'm gonna skip you know let's be honest if you're listening to this show you're drinking eight beers a week so eight beers a week times four is 32 beers. Is that right? 16, 32, yeah. Yep. 32 beers. So just fucking take 32 beers out of your year if you're looking to step back your drinking in some way to improve your health, and you will have made a health choice and an impact. Take 32 beers out of one month, and you're going to take off four pounds, put on six and prime your liver for complete failure for seven days. It's just a stupid way to treat your body. So drink up America. All right. Yeah. Thanks for the Ted talk. I wasn't, didn't realize it. Is there a slideshow? Did I miss the slideshow? <laughs> there, there, there is a deck, but I, I send it out ahead of time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I fucking, I just fucking hate, I fucking yeah. hate the way America treats diet. Like, you know me, I'm a guy who had to shed 70 pounds and I've done it, but I did it by learning how the body reacts to calories, not by going on a diet. Right. And it's, it's, it's so confusing me how into the sales of things are. And I know athletic really loves being like, are you going to be healthy this January? No, you're fucking not like you're going to be unhealthy this January. Anyway. I don't care. Anyway, moving on. Um, so that's my answer about dry January and my TED talk. You're welcome. Um, I think you should be drinking gin. Maybe that's what you should do. Shift one beer into a, a proper. Do you drink Vespers? I drank maybe 73 Vespers last weekend in Las Vegas and they play with gin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Vespers, what? Uh, half, half gin, half vodka. Um, half gin, half vodka, a little Lillet. Yeah, Lillet. Right, right. Um, no, I do like a. If I'm going to go that direction, 
Oh, sorry? Delightful fucking cocktail. I, yeah. I seriously drank them for 72 hours straight in Vegas last weekend. I'm a Gibson fan. If I'm going in kind of the martini room, uh, I, love, I love a Gibson. I'm a Gibson guy too. My dad was a Gibson guy. I grew up eating those onions by the fistful out of a jar. Yeah. Um, it's a good move. I like it. <laughs> um, all right, man. Much respect. I'm glad this is going for you. It sounds fun. Thanks for coming on the show. And thanks, thanks for, for having me. More about vodka. I, I mean, more about gin. I'm going to try to remember what's the second or the third most important green? Orotho? What'd you say it was? Orris root. Orris root. Orris root. Or, yeah. root is what I'm going to learn about next. That's my. That's the thing I'm leaving the show with is Augie needs to learn about orris root. Um, all right, man. So, Cass, do your thing, Cass, and let's go watch this football game. Well, hold on. Andrew, where can they find your delicious Oh, yeah, spirits? I meant to ask how can that. They, how can they visit the, you? Are you outside the boroughs? Uh, no, we're pretty much in the five boroughs, a couple spots in the Hudson Valley, but um, predominantly in the five boroughs. Uh, we have a tap room on President Street between 3rd and 4th in Gowanus in Brooklyn, uh, right off the R train. Uh, we're open seven days a week there. Uh, you can also find us, uh, Mercado Little Spain. They do great stuff. Uh, the Winslow over in uh, the East Village. Um, nice. Yeah, all the good gin spots should have us. Right on. All right, Rock bro. On. We appreciate you being here. Cass, tell them how to give us money so I can afford gin again. Yes, patreon.com slash steal this beer. Thank you to the Patreons that kick us those bucks and duck it. It goes a long way. It lets us buy tall cans of beers that we don't like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we didn't not like that don't impress us. And and beers that we don't pour properly. So uh get at us, see what we see what we're drinking on untapped that steal this beer follow us on all the social medias at steal this beer and uh write us letters uh about hey maybe write us the letters about your favorite drinking holidays let's get out of this uh sober sober nonsense here so that's steal this right beer on. podcast <laughs> at gmail.com all right y'all get at us <laughs> <laughs>